Welcome to China Tech Talk, the weekly discussion of technology and startups here in China. I'm John Artman, editor in chief of TechNode, and as always, I'm joined by Matthew Brennan, founder of China Channel. So this week's episode is、uh, Mobike Part Two. We catch up with、uh, Florian Boner, head of、uh, international expansion, to kind of get a sense of of what they're doing now, and 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 also you know how their strategy. Has changed as they're they're moving away. They're focusing a little bit less on the domestic market in terms of expansion, and looking more at the international markets. Yeah, as Florian said, you know,、uh, a year and a half in mobile、uh, years is like a decade.、Uh, things are moving incredibly fast for them. So it's when did we record the last one, John? It was like three, four months ago. It, it was, was one of the、back. early episodes,、mm-hmm, wasn't it?、Mm-hmm. And so it seems for them, that's it, another world. Their, their international team has expanded incredibly since that time, and、uh, and and what we're covering in today's podcast is all is all kind of different stuff from last time. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, maybe because again, I mean, you know, the the, the market in in China,、uh, the expansion both from Ofo and Mobike has slowed down considerably, um, and、uh, as of this. Recording, you know, Technode. We're we're reporting on、uh, a merger between two two smaller players, so that we can see that the domestic market is is becoming a bit more a bit more mature. And so, for these companies, really, the next frontier is is the international market.、Um, and so, you know, today we talk with Florian.、Uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have、um, someone from、uh, from Ofo come on come on to the podcast. And so, of course, we're going to be asking them about、uh, their international expansion.、Um, and so, you know, I, I, that's one of the things I really love. About、um, kind of the bike rental industry right now is that you have these 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 two companies、um, with very different operating philosophies,、um, both doing very very well、um, right now. Mobike is valued at about three billion USD,、um, is、uh, from what I remember, and、uh, Ofo is at one、uh, billion USD. Although they might they might contest that,、um, and so it's always really cool to have you know to be able to get two different voices on to the show to talk about what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, I look forward to that one. Having Ofo on will be、uh, will be a treat after after covering Mobike so much.、Um, and well, today we push flooring a bit more. I think we we try to get、um, try to touch upon a bit more on the business model, a bit more on their future vision.、Um, and so I think we're asking we're, we're probing a bit more with some 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 questions. Um, but, whereas last time we were covering more of the basics,、yeah. uh, maybe not basics is the wrong word, but you know more of the essentials. Uh, today we're, we're we're doing a bit more advanced stuff, I think. Exactly. So this episode is for for advanced bike bike rental learners.、Um, if you want to hear a bit more background, you you can、uh, of course reference our our previous episode, and、uh, the link to that will be in the show notes. And with that, we give you Florian Boner. Well, Florian, you know, thank you so much, you know, for for agreeing to come on to the podcast for for a second appearance. Hi, guys! Thanks for having me. So,、um, you know, Matt and I, we we had been talking about it, and we realized for for the last like month or so, as、uh, both Mobike and Ofo have been expanding aggressively、um, internationally, that we needed to have a, a follow up episode. And so, so Florian, that's really kind of you know where we want to start this conversation off. You know, so we had you on, you know, two or three months ago.、Um, so what's what's happened since since we last talked? Since we last talked, I'd say the speed of international expansion really picked up,、uh, just like it happened in. in China previously, like we launched Shanghai in April 2016, and then it took us about four months to launch our second city, and then it took us less than two months 
to launch the third one and so on and so forth. And by the end, uh, we can open a couple of cities almost on the same day by now. Uh, so I'm not saying that international expansion has reached that point just yet. But since we launched Singapore in March, uh, the UK and Italy followed uh, within two or three months. And since then, we brought the total of the total number of countries in which we operate to nine, including China. So again, within a couple of months, there's three months, we, we, we launched an additional uh, Thailand, Malaysia, Japan, the US most recently with Washington DC, uh, as well as Korea. And I think I didn't forget any country. So yeah, uh, just more international expansion. And what's interesting is also that it's quite global. So it's not focused specifically on only North America or, or, or the Europe, but we really see a high demand for our service uh, all across the globe. So so it's very exciting. Mm. And you're moving into developed markets as well as uh, less developed ones as well at the same time. So it's not what we, we talk about on the podcast most Mostly um, Chinese internet companies um, tend to focus on Southeast Asia, tend to focus on India right now. But you guys are, are going with quite a different strategy. Yeah, definitely. And I think this goes back to what I what I probably mentioned last time about the, the, the vision of the company and the idea that, yes, it's a tech company uh, and, and it's an Asian company going global. But when you look back really at the core vision is solving a short urban trips. And whether you live in, in Bangkok or in London or in Washington, there is this need and, and it's the same. Whatever language you speak and whatever food you eat, it's, it's the same need. It's just the, one of the most basic human needs. So if you take it from that angle, uh, there's no reason that the 25 million people living in Bangkok shouldn't have access to, to a reliable, affordable, convenient way to get around as well, right? So that's why from this angle, we really look at, at the globe at the globe as a whole. And, and, and so and so I'm kind of curious, you know, looking looking at your the the international expansion. I mean, how much of that has been because of domestic market conditions? You know, um, as 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 you guys, you guys have expanded rapidly here here in China. Um, you know, like Beijing, um, Shanghai, and Shenzhen, they've um, come in with some uh, fairly strict regulations about. Um, you know where where bikes can be where where bikes can be parked. How many actual total bikes can are allowed inside uh, of city limits? And so has that saturation been kind of been kind of one of the things that's kind of pushing you guys to look more internationally? Uh, no, not from my point of view, and not from uh, a more or more general a company point of view. Uh, so I might have told you guys also last time I was the first foreigner to be hired actually, and that was fairly early on. It was in April 2016 when the company just launched in Shanghai. So in most bike timeline it's like a, a decade ago uh but in, in in real timeline it's only a year and a half ago but at that time they hired me because they already had the the, the vision to take this company abroad uh, again because this idea of short urban trips it was very clear to everyone in the team that it would not only be in china uh and then of course the markets evolved in china but the word saturation is one that we definitely don't use and and we don't believe in that because uh there's still a very very high demand and then there's still uh, a lot of work to be done on on matching this demand this demand in the most efficient way. And the, the second thing I can say, because you mentioned the regulation, uh, the regulations that are coming in, actually, Mobike is is very open-minded and and welcoming with those regulations. Uh, it kind of goes back to the entire business model. So we we often talk about the bikes because that's what we see on the streets, and they're the bikes we use. But it's only the tip of the iceberg. Uh, the 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 rest of the iceberg being the artificial 
social intelligence platform that we have, uh, as well as the kind of smart parking that we're proactively rolling out. So when we started, again, operating a year and a half ago, all those three components were very clearly set in the, the, the strategy and in the roadmap. And so those regulations that are coming in now a year, a year and a half later, they're actually um, fairly similar to what we've been proposing since the beginning. So we, we were very welcoming of, of working with the governments to put in place those regulations because that's what the solution was designed for. When you say smart parking, Florian, can you expand upon that? Yeah, sure. So first, the second part. So I always mention the three parts. The first one is the bike with the embedded GPS. I think everybody's fairly uh, aware of that. The second one really is the artificial intelligence platform. So we recently also hit new milestones uh, and the, the, the total amount of data that is generated on a daily basis is close to 30 terabytes. Uh, so this data is huge and we have the entire online platform that in real time can generate useful insights to then redirect our operation teams to act upon the, the bike fleet in real time. So if we see a tidal movement towards a certain area, then we can proactively uh, in real time go and manage those bikes. Uh, the predictive models that we use are also getting stronger. So we're able to more precisely predict the demand at such time at such place and then exactly match the right number of bikes for that area. That's the second part, really, the, the big data that we have. And the third part that I mentioned is the smart parking, which in terms of, uh, I mean, if you ask me, it's not something new because it's something I came up with in in, in like May 2016. Uh, the idea is not to go back to the stations, of course, because we're, we're, we're a pioneer of the dockless, but we do understand the need for uh, reliability and safety, uh, both for the user and for the government. And as we go abroad, this is also an increasing uh, an, an increasingly complex question question that we have to, to work out with the with the government. So the idea is to have hotspots or uh, areas of interest or point of interest, or you can call them whatever whatever you want. In, in, in our app, we call them mobile hub because we see them as like a, a hubs of social interaction in the city. Uh, and then the users don't have to, uh, but if and when they return the bike to one of those hotspots, maybe they'll get an additional reward. So I'm sure you guys are familiar with the with the red uh, red pockets bike, the, the Hongbao uh, now you can get a reward when you pick up that bike, when you put it back into circulation, but you're also going to be able to get an additional reward if you bring it back to one of those mobile hubs. So that's that's the idea around the, the, the smart parking. So so that space, it's it's geofencing, basically, using using GPS. Is that right? Uh, geofencing is a part of it. Yes, geofencing is just the idea of, of, of limiting a digital fence around an area. So it's 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 a component within that, that smart parking uh, concept, yes. And then it doesn't mean that if we talk about China that every single parking spot is going to be converted into one of those. But again, it's something that we proactively uh, roll out in areas where we uh, deem it necessary. Or again, if the government uh, wants to roll out more of those, then we'll work with them to make it happen. So, so you mentioned you mentioned the the complexity of of regulation as as you're expanding internationally. So, you know, is what are what are some of the biggest challenges when you are looking at international markets? Is it is it governments? Is it is it users? Is it is it something else? Uh, generally speaking, the way I see this industry uh, and not only the dockless model but also the traditional station-based model is a question of localization because the, the, the solution is always fairly similar. Uh, it's a bike, it's got some technology, it's got stations or it doesn't but the real challenge is how do you localize it? So in our case, for example, of course the language and the app, that's fairly obvious. Uh, the map system 
system that we're going to use, the payments methods that we're going to use. So all of those are fairly obvious. But when you dig a little bit deeper in the project, uh, then you have differences between the different cities because every single city is unique. And that's where we, we need a lot of resource to make sure that we talk exactly in the right way to the right person at the right time. So that's why our, our international expansion team now is, is maybe 20 or 30 times bigger than, than it was when I last talked to you guys. And we have people of a wide variety of nationalities uh, to go and talk locally to the commercial partners and the government and really explain it in, in, in the right way. So I think that's a really important item. And another very important item that makes up a lot of, of my uh, uh, content, the, a lot of what I do as well, is really position Mobike as uh, the leader because we are the first ones to do it. Uh, we are the ones to come up with the GPS-enabled bikes. And as of today, we're the only ones to operate the full fleets, which is GPS-enabled. Uh, and we have to make that message very clear. And of course, when you're talking to someone who's on the, the, the other side of the globe, uh, who's read articles online, uh, it, and sometimes it's hard to, to, to make the difference. So a lot of what I do is also uh, educational and really putting out there the unique advantages of Mobike and explaining how uh, we're the first ones, the bigger, the biggest ones, and 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 the leaders in the field with our technology. Mm, makes sense. So a lot of it's PR communications, getting the right message out. I'm sure that's a big part of why why you're on this podcast today. Um, it is, and it, it it's also why we'll be uh, at Web Summit early November. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's interesting about about the. Uh, do you see any? difference in how people are using the bikes in in different parts across the world in terms of the the, the user habits that the length of the journey or um you know any any other sort of differences that you weren't expecting um, as to how Chinese and non-Chinese use the bikes. Uh, first, I'll talk about what we were expecting, uh, which is quite general, but which is intriguing. And then I can't get into the detail because there are so many nuances and variations. Uh, but some cities are going to be more leisure oriented, so usage will be higher in the in the weekend. Um, other cities will be more commute oriented, so as opposed, we'll have more rides during the the, the work days. Um, Depending on the cities, we also have different peak times. So, for example, in, in Beijing, the peak time in the evening is a little bit earlier. Uh, and we, uh, we, we, we expect it to be because of the, the kinds of jobs that people have. And uh, more government-related jobs in Beijing, which uh, get off work maybe a little bit earlier than in Shanghai, where it's more um, commercial, so to say, and people get off work a little bit later. So we do see uh, things like this. And then the, the nuances can go really, really deep because every every city again is going to be is going to be quite different uh, so this is something that we that we were expecting and now we we, we have this data and something that we weren't expecting um, well the first thing that comes to mind again is one of my personal favorites is the the mobile uh, wedding pictures I, I definitely wasn't expecting that but uh, it's very very popular right now so it's not really in terms of, of riding the bike but it's it's also a usage of, of the bike and uh, I wasn't I, I definitely wasn't expecting that that, yeah. Can you elaborate on that one, the, the wedding photos for those people on who are unaware? Yeah, it's just the idea that Mobike, uh, the brand and the service uh, resonated so deeply with the users that 
I don't want to say it became a family member, but almost. Uh, it became it became something that penetrated deeply a lot of uh, social layers in a lot of different ways. Uh, and, and you can see it when, when in China you see someone who's probably 70 or 80 years old and then using his smartphone to unlock the bike and then ride on mobile. I think I think that's amazing uh, because it's really embracing technology. And, and it shows that the product is, is universal and appeals even to people who are you know, 60, 70, maybe 80 years old. We, we see that happen. And so the, the, the mobile wedding thing is, is amazing to have people embrace the product and the service so much and find it fashionable that they would have their wedding pictures taken with the mobile and then have the whole mobile theme wedding. I feel like that's really, uh, I mean, it's amazing. And it's almost humbling to have to be part of something that, that has such a deep impact in people's lives, you know? And, and then, of course, you know, speaking of um, impact on people's lives, we have to look at kind of the, 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 the opposite case of uh, Manchester in, in the, the United Kingdom. Um, when um, and so Manchester, correct me if I'm wrong, was one of the first cities that uh, that Mobike uh, launched in, and and it seems to have been um, it, the locals seem to have reacted very very interesting in in, in a sense where um, some people were very excited about it, very positive, um, you know, bikers because they had looked at you know the Boris bikes in London and they saw now that you know with no no cost to the taxpayer they they had something very similar in 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 Manchester, but it seems that some of the some of the younger uh, some of the younger people there reacted in, in a way that um, was more more in terms of vandalism, you know, throwing throwing bikes in the river, um, you know, knocking, you know, uh, knocking the uh, the locks off and, and things like that. So so what what happened in, in Manchester? So it was in the first city that we launched after Singapore. So I think that plays a part because Manchester and Singapore are two quite different cities. So there's uh, an interesting uh, difference in the environment. So I think that played a part. I think uh, you guys know even better than me that what you read online is is often only a very small portion of the truth, but that it gets uh, it gets a lot of coverage and then it it, it, it it gets put out there and then that's just the way the way media works so that's another element uh, thirdly education is really important uh, through a number of different channels and targeted at a number of different groups of people so whether it's the younger users or the uh, uh, older users or the government or or just different groups education and again PR is is very very important um, the work with the local law enforcement is also quite important and it's something that we've put in place in Manchester. So now we have a very, very close working relationship with the with the law enforcement uh, if such cases do happen. So all those items kind of play a role in hopefully achieving in Manchester levels of safety like we see in, 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 in Singapore or in China. But uh, I'm excited to say that we're on track and, and, and you don't see a lot of that anymore in Manchester. Uh, the situation has already been curbed because people now understand that it's not a, a foreign invasion that's going on. It's uh, it's a company that is localizing itself and that wants to help uh, the citizens of the city. And that message is getting across. So the situation now is uh, is great and people love using Mobike in Manchester. I do have to apologize for my fellow countrymen. <laughs> I'm, surprised, you know, I'm not surprised there's some vandalism going on in Manchester, quite frankly. But but, uh, no, but not, on, not only that, I mean, like similar similar behavior to what uh, to what we saw in China when uh, Mobike and Ofo first um, started started to to expand domestically um, I was just I was just reading right right before we started recording um, a woman was writing in the Guardian and she was super excited about about mobike uh, coming to Manchester uh, but it was difficult for her to find a bike and then and then when she finally did find a bike it was actually in someone's garden and so she went up and she knocked on the door 
and and said, you know, that's that's actually not yours. And the guy was like, yes, it is. That's mine, um, and I'm going to use it later. You can't, you can't, you can't have it. Um, and so it's actually really interesting to see how, you know, I, I think that 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 Chinese people and and sometimes sometimes foreigners as well like to kind of look down a little bit on on some some of some of the uh, the behavior that you see that you see in China. But you know, I think looking at Manchester, it's very clear that it's not it's not really just Chinese. It's just you know. Sometimes people just have this kind of selfish way of thinking. Humans are humans, and that's why I often mention the the universal uh, character to Mobike and to the Vision. And for me, that's uh, definite proof of that. And and I think from a from a from a social point of view, it's really interesting. And and from a company point of view, it's something that we already know how to manage. So in in the international expansion, it, it's not a problem. So one thing, Brian, you guys have expanded out into a variety of these across the world. Already, how many bikes are actually in these cities? Because I remember reading some reports, and I can't remember off the top of my head, but it seems that the number of bikes that were actually deployed wasn't that high. You know, when you say that you're entering Manchester or you're entering Bangkok, how many bikes are actually on the streets in these places? So we we never fully disclose all the numbers for all the cities. First of all, because it's it's a very secretive KPI. Uh, second of all, because it's not the KPI that makes the most sense. Because I mentioned previously. With the artificial intelligence platform, we can precisely mix, uh, uh, not mix, match the supply and the demand. So we can start with a thousand bikes, uh, but then see within a couple of months that the demand uh, requires 5,000 bikes. We'll match that. Whatever uh, supply we should put, we'll, we'll match it. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned last time, but you know, Foxconn is, a, is a, an investor and a strategic partner. Uh, with their help and combined with our own factories, we can manufacture up to 10 million bikes per year. So we have enough bikes to, to, to match the demand. The idea is to use the data to perfectly match those two. Uh, and then some cities, uh, because the government wants to announce it and because we agree to, to, to put the number out there, we do say how many bikes we start with. So for example, in Milan, uh, I believe it's 4,000 bikes. So the idea, and again, this is a fundamental difference between Mobike and all the other players, is that Mobike talks to the government before we put the bikes in. And then we come up uh, hand in hand with the governments with the plan to roll out Mobike in the city. And so in that plan, the initial number of bikes or the total number of bikes is obviously something that comes up. So it's also a decision that we take with the with the city. Some cities already have a, a no car city center, car free city center. So in, 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 for example, in such cases, the number of bikes will be more easily uh, bumped up because they have the infrastructure that, that works nicely with it. In other cases, the number will be lower. It really depends. And, and sometimes we do announce it, but most of the time we don't focus on numbers so much. And anyways, uh, the numbers are not going to be comparable to China, at least not just yet, because China's China and it's the only country with such scale. So the numbers abroad, of course, cannot be compared with, with those in China. Mm, uh, it's just from a logistical point of view. If you're deploying a thousand bikes in a large metropolis, that's going to get very dispersed, wouldn't it be? I mean, as, from a user experience, it would, I could imagine it being quite difficult to find a bike if there was that few in, in, in the city. Would that not be an issue? Well, so again, it's a question of rollout. Uh, if we look back a year and a half ago, uh, when we launched in, uh, when we were doing the pre 
we launched testing in Shanghai, we only had uh, hundreds of bikes. And then the operating area was Xuhui. It was just one district within uh, Shanghai and a small district too. And then little by little, we expanded it to Puxi. So the whole west side of the river. Uh, and people in Pudong were still asking us, you know, where are the bikes? Uh, and later on, we put bikes in Pudong. And now you can find bikes all the way from, from uh, Chongming Island all the way to Pudong Airport. So it, it covers really the entire Shanghai municipality. But then that was a rollout that happened over the course of, uh, of a few months. Uh, and we're able to do that because we own the bikes, because we have operation teams on the ground, because we have the data so we can track the bikes in real time, et cetera, et cetera. So we can have, uh, we have similar rollout programs in the city that, that, that we launch in. So most recently, I should double check on Twitter, but we, we opened up the operation area of a city in, in, in Europe uh, just to include a nearby park. So now people can can use Mobike to ride into the park and then they're, they're allowed to do so. So we, we also can uh, in real time, well, almost in real time, uh, uh, adapt the operating area of the scheme. So we, we're very nimble and agile in the way we ramp up. If, if you open up in a certain area, does that mean people can ride the bikes freely? So I could take the bike and ride it way outside of that area where it was first placed. Uh, and then if you're just in a small area, that means you guys have to go around and, and pick those bikes up and bring them back into into that area. Is that so, what you're saying? Yeah, definitely. Again, it's it's the same. The, the, the solution's been designed uh, to, be, to, to be like this. So if the bike is ridden outside of the area, uh, we know about it, again, because we've got the GPS. And then we've got a number of ways to act upon this. We do have people on the ground. So we don't just put the bikes there and then not operate. Uh, a, a fundamental difference, again, of Mobike is that we have the highest operational efficiency uh, because we're the only ones to have the data and the GPS. So if the bike exits the operating area, we have real-time alerts that go to our platform and then we can dispatch operators in real time. Uh, we can also act upon the user base. So you guys know about the whole credit system in the app. Uh, that's also something that we're rolling out abroad. So if I ride the bike outside of the operating area, uh, I'll probably pay a, a fee or I'll pay a little bit more. And then if someone helps us to bring the bike back to the operating area, that person can also get a reward. So what I mentioned previously about the the, the, the smart parking, it, it's something that's kind of that, that's similar. We can incentivize the users to bring the bikes back to the operating area. Okay, got it, got it. To put it out there, uh, all these features I'm mentioning are, are, are live in China. We're rolling them out progressively in the most mature markets that we have already opened outside of China. I'm not saying that all of this is available right now uh, in Bangkok and KL. Okay, I just want to put it out there. But uh, these are our technical features that are available in China and that we're going to roll out progressively across the globe as well. Mm-hmm. But but I'm curious. And so speaking of you know uh, distribution teams and and, and and operations locally, I mean as part of as part of your uh, expansion abroad, you know, tell us about finding talent. You know. Has it has it been difficult to find um, good people? Has it been difficult to find um, you know uh, a team? Like, is it has it been difficult to build teams um, in in these different areas? Um, there are a number of angles from which I can go about this. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind, and in my personal experience, uh, because we're quite successful and uh, with quite high visibility, getting inbound requests is, is, is not an issue. We got a lot of people who proactively uh, send out their candidacy, uh, so that helps tremendously, and we're lucky. To, to be in that position. Uh, having said that, 
I feel like a lot of the, not a, some amount of the selection actually happens on its own. Uh, people will sometimes just not follow up with the candidacy. And from my personal point of view, that's fine because it means that maybe it's not the right fit. Uh, but people who really follow up and send a second email and a third email and, and a fourth email, you know, and, uh, and, and also who are patient and who know how to manage this relationship with the, with the potential employer, uh, then that's definitely a, a, a positive item, I believe, because it's kind of like natural selection. You know, it's, it's also a fit with the brand and, and, and the people and the processes. So I think that's interesting. Uh, I would say that it's, I'm very lucky to be able to say that I feel that it's not been very challenging to build a very strong team because through the different networks that I had, I was able to get in contact with people who I knew would fit the, the brand and who are very good at what they do. And then once you hire great people and you give them the space necessary to do what they're great at, and they're just going to keep on doing more great things, uh, including attracting great talent. So I've, I've, I've personally hired a number of people who have done amazing things on, on the team, uh, in, including bringing on more great talent. So again, I think I'm very fortunate to, to be able to say that it's not been um, such a hassle to build uh, an amazing team. But again, I think it's uh, it's it's one in a one in a million. Like I'm, I'm, I'm again, I'm very fortunate to, to be able to say that. Yeah, I think um, setting up setting up barriers or or you know, it's kind of like you know, um, you hear stories about Zen temples where they always try to turn away uh, people who want to, to become monks or to, or to join, and you can see just kind of how dedicated they are by by how long they actually stick around outside the temple before before they're accepted in. Um, but um, you know, looking looking at your U.S. expansion, so you guys are in um, D.C. Washington DC um, currently where else are you in the US right now as of today I believe we are only in Washington DC okay okay so so wh why why did you why did you start there and and not not somewhere else again uh, the, the the government support is very very important so when we look uh, generally speaking when we look at international expansion there are a number of analytical criteria of course that we look at so the the, the size of the city the the density the geography the seasonality etc etc these are fairly straightforward uh, analytical criteria that we look at and then the second thing that comes into play very very quickly is uh, if not instantly is the government support and the relationship that we have with the government uh, a few cities in the US being because some of our copycats have, uh, because they did what they did, uh, some cities are, are less open to, to welcome a bike share in the U.S. Uh, some cities are very open to welcoming the bike share. So, for example, uh, uh, Seattle has kind of an open policy where the city put the rules of the game out there. They, they prepared the framework and then, you know, they welcomed the, the, the bike share companies to come and operate. Uh, Washington isn't exactly like this, but they were also very, very supportive to have a dockless scheme come in and come complements the existing scheme that they have. So first thing would really be analytical criteria. And the second thing really is uh, government relationships. And I'd say that Washington, D.C. had the perfect balance between those two. And that's why we chose to go to, to Washington uh, firstly. So what are your what are your plans for the U.S.? Can you tell us a little bit more about kind of what 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 cities you're looking at or, or what what um, and you've given us given us a bit of the framework of kind of in terms of what, what you look at. But are there any other cities that, that kind of fit that that framework? 
work well? I, I can't say exactly which cities, uh, but I can say that some cities in the U.S. will, of course, match both those items. But unfortunately, I can't comment much more. In America, it's a very car-centric culture. Is that affecting how people use the bikes in the States? Again, for sure, every city is going to be different. Uh, U.S. car ownership is very high. It doesn't mean that people aren't willing to try. So the, the data set is not the same, but in the white paper that Mobike put out in April 2017, there is a poll amongst 100,000 of our users so again, different user pool. I know it's in China, uh, but still, I think that the figure says something. And more than half of the users, 55% to be precise, said that ever since mobile came around, they use their car less. Uh, and I believe, again, going back to the universal aspects behind the, the solution and the, and the brand, I believe that what, that will also be the case in the US. And, and I can't predict when or by how much or exactly where, but adults also like to ride bikes. Uh, it's convenient, it's fun, and it really works. So even if car ownership and car usage is very high in the U.S., I, I'm, I'm convinced. And we see that happen in Washington already. Uh, I'm convinced that people will get on the bikes. That, that I am, I am absolute, absolutely positive about that. No, I, I, I'm, broadly speaking, I would be the same. I just think there might be differences in sort of the age range of people um, or is it like a much higher uptake on university campuses, for example, or things like that that you might see? That, that might happen, to be honest. It's, it's uh, either a little bit too early to tell or a little bit too uh, secretive to tell. <laughs> okay. So, so looking at, I mean, you know, just this kind of staying, sticking with the U.S., I mean, you know, there's there's actually uh, more and more coverage from uh, Western uh, tech blogs, um, you know, tech blogs usually based in the States. Um, and, and it looks like, you know, that the media, at least the way that they're, that they're uh, in the U.S., the way that they're kind of spinning this is that we are going to be seeing uh, a similar style battle that we saw in China uh, take take place in the U.S. I mean, not and obviously the players are going to be a little bit different. Um, you still have Mobike, you still have Ofo, um, but then of course in the U.S. there's Lime, there's Lime Bike, uh, there's Motivate, uh, there's Spin. I believe New York City they have their own uh, bike sharing program um, with City Bike. So I mean, looking looking at the U.S., I mean, like what do you what do you make of your your competitors? You know, Lime Bike they just got um, some pretty pretty hefty funding. Um, and so it seems like they, they might actually be one of the bigger contenders. So before I say anything, I apologize. I might be a little bit repetitive, but again, it's very, very important to highlight it because Mobike is the only one with the embedded, truly active GPS in the bike. And all those other guys that you mentioned, I don't have the same technology. So yes, it's a bike and yes, it's got some kind of lock, but it's not live GPS technology. And it's very important to put it out there because then it sets us a world apart from all the other colors. Uh, um, there is more funding that's happening locally in the U.S. I personally see it as a positive sign because it means that the model is validated and it means that U.S.-based VC firms believe in the model, which is great news for us uh, and congratulations to them. Um, there will be different players happening, uh, 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 operating in the U.S. And I believe Mobike is in the best position because uh, it's got the scale, it's got the technology, they've got a very strong team. So I, I see Mobike definitely as, as a leader uh, globally. Yeah. What do you make of the, the rumors of, of, of the merger? You know, Zhou Tai and Zhu, Zhu Xiaohu, they made public statements. Um, Bloomberg is reporting that uh, investors are in early stage talks, although their source also um, says that, that, that just because they're having talks doesn't mean actually anything's going to happen. So, 
So what what can you tell us? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I can't tell you anything uh, because Mobike is again the the, the biggest, uh, and we're the only ones with the tech. So to from my point of view, there's no there's no merger uh, on the horizon or anything. We continue doing what we do best, which is to operate eight million smart bikes. And for now, that's that's about it. That's what I focus on. Cool. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of the the answer we expected. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, but um, um, since, but yeah, Matt, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Um, well, perhaps we can talk a bit more about the the business model. Um, since since we last got you on the podcast, um, I think we recorded one afterwards or just before, where we were speculating on how things might develop in terms of um, the different monetization channels that that you guys would open up, and pretty much all of them have happened in the past um, in the past three to four months uh, in terms of you guys are doing um, in-app advertisements or promotions hooked up hooked up with brands. Um, and you're doing on-bike advertisements now. It's been a couple of, um, uh, you know, a big press about dressing them up. And, and uh, there's the gold bikes as well, which wasn't you guys. But, um, you know, there's, uh, there's been several case studies of that. Um, and then moving the business model more to a subscription sort of monthling. So rather than charging per ride. Um, perhaps, we'll, perhaps we'll talk about that one first uh, with the subscription monthly payments. Um, how is that going? I mean, you guys have launched that and what, what's the plan there and what's the uptake like in terms of moving things over to a monthly subscription i think it's the, the 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 point I want to make is that we're nimble enough to develop those new features and then roll them out. Uh, if people choose to still pay per use, then they're very to do that. If they're heavy users, we believe the monthly card is going to be a, a better choice for them. Uh, I wouldn't say it's a fundamental revision of the business model or it's changing the company or it's reaching out into advertising. I think it's just being nimble to adapt the solution to every single city, to every single user so that we can best match their requirement it's not a fundamental change in the in the business model our business model is is uh, profitable through the the renting of the bikes and that's that the the advertising on the bike maybe it gets more attention now because uh, the whole company grew and because the industry's hot but uh, we've been doing that for a while uh, and and it's more of a an offline event kind of thing rather than a, than a, than, a, than a pure business model you know what I mean so I, I don't really look at it in terms of a new business model is just adapting the solution so that it fits the, the the local users' needs in the best way possible. And that includes dressing up a few bikes sometimes because we've got this great partner. So the one I'm thinking of is uh, is Disney, which is an amazing partner to have and to work with. Uh, and then do the online offline promotion. That was that was amazing. But again, it's more marketing orientated. It's more offline. It's more uh, sorry events orientated rather than saying okay now Mobike is making money out of out of advertising. That's not the case. The the, the data that we have, we use it to increase operational efficiency. That's what we do. So advertising, whether it's in-app adverts or whether it's on the actual bikes, is very much just a side secondary uh, source of income is what you're essentially saying. I, I wouldn't even say it's an additional source of income. I'd say it's uh, leverage that we have. It's a tool that we have to further boost the brand and, and the outreach. Uh, we also recently hit uh, 30 million daily rides. Uh, and even if the price of one ride is is very affordable uh that's a lot of rides. so that 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 business model in its own works mm, sure but you guys charge for in-app ads right i mean i've, I've there it's not i've recently i remember someone saying that mobike I, this could be wrong but uh they're saying like an, uh, an, an ad in on the mobike app um or a collaboration is like a, a million rmb per day 
Um, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But like, there, there's definitely money to be made there, right? You guys, even if it's a secondary income source and not the primary, and maybe you guys are very careful who you work with, but it's it, it surely is something that you guys must be um, ex- wanting to explore more. I think for sure, there there's something there. But for now, the the focus is still operational efficiency. Uh, and then again, in terms of data, I guess, are you guys? Um, I know you, you've talked before about using the, the data that you have and sharing that with local governments in order for them to um, optimize their transport systems and, and for them to get some uh, some some very valuable insights uh, to optimize what they're doing. But is there any other sort of ways that the the data fits into this plan and that you guys can can look at uh, monetizing that in the future or, or if you're doing it already? There's very little I can say on that topic uh, because it's still growing so fast and we're excited about the, the, the growth opportunity but not monetizing the data. Uh, what I can say, what I can add is that now that we've gone international, uh, we also spend a lot of time and resource and energy on uh, the local data protection laws. So now we're in not only in different countries, different continents. So our whole architecture has also been uh, uh, reamped to fit all those local regulations. And if the data needs to be hosted locally, then we host it locally and then we abide by all uh, regulations that are in place locally. That's that's a that's a big focus. Uh, before even talking about, about leveraging the data, that's a big focus. And that's what we've been doing uh, uh, as well. As to monetize the data abroad, there's nothing I can I can really add to that to that item right now um so so you know speaking of of business models um tell us about the limousine service that 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 you guys recently um started with um i believe it was it was it shoti um so are you guys now now competing competing with dd is this kind of like a um like just trying to like like plugging a, a, st- a strategy gap in terms of you know competition domestically with ofo the the idea behind this is to also provide our users with uh, an additional service that is linked to mobility and also leverage uh what's in their in their wallet as well because just now we mentioned the the monthly pass so if you're a user who already topped up some money in in the wallet and then you've got your monthly pass then uh we we, we don't want that money on the wallet's users to so just stay there so we also offer uh, offer this 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 service to them so i know that's one of the components uh behind this this new uh possibility that there is in in, in the app uh saying that we compete with uh with this other company you mentioned i i, I wouldn't dare saying that because we still focus on running the, the 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 bike share system definitely yeah maybe i'll expand upon the the last bit uh, a bit more so Okay, so if you're moving into offering a limousine service, um, you guys must be thinking of, of other things. Is the strategy with the with with Mobike app to keep things you know focused just on the bikes, or if it, because Chinese apps usually don't do that, right? They usually uh, like to spread out and offer all all different kinds of of stuff. Um, can we? Ex- is that is that the strategy here, or do you think you guys are just strictly focused on just doing the bikes? For now, it's definitely going to be the bikes because the addressable market is huge and because it's it's not that easy for a company to operate as perfectly as possible on a global scale. So there is definitely a huge focus on the bikes. As to how many mobility services we'll provide in the app three years from now, honestly, I can't predict. I myself don't know. I can't guess. Uh, but what I can see 
is that we now also use bikes that are a little bit different depending on the market that we go to. So taking it back to international expansion and to the idea of local regulations, uh, we send bikes that fit as, as best as possible the local requirements of the users and of course the local laws. So we already see that different kinds of bikes are being uh, exported. They're not uh, entirely different. They still have the Mobike DNA, but they are adapted to local requirements. So if we extrapolate that a little bit, uh, I would not be shocked to have, uh, you know, maybe Mobike with the uh, gears. We announced Mobike with gears in Singapore, and, and it's highly probable that we'll send uh, those models to other countries. And then we can think of other uh, variations on the bikes. So then if, if you're imaginative, then you can think of, of, of other uh, bigger modifications on the bike, and that could fit uh, the, 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 the story. But um, I can't uh, pr promise anything. Mm. And ultimately, it, it doesn't really need to be bikes, does it? Um, you guys could be operating other other types of vehicles, perhaps in the, in, in the future, autonomous cars. Uh, what I mentioned last time was also something uh, related to the, the, the bike uh, merely being a tool. Because again, we're, we're a technology company uh, and we chose the bike because it's convenient, it's quite universal, uh, most people know how to ride one, so the, the, the bike was chosen. But uh, I often and say it's, it's it's the tool that we chose to make the solution come to life. So if you take it from that angle, uh, it might have been something else. Maybe in a in a in a parallel universe, it's uh, it's Mo skates or uh, Mo kickboard. So maybe maybe yeah. From that perspective, you know, you guys are not a two-sided marketplace. You're operating. Uh, you know, you have physical inventory and um, you're, you're focusing on the solution being getting from A to B rather than rather than coming from the perspective we're a bike company, you're, you're, you're solving a, a problem, a last mile problem. So that could be solved in different ways using different, um, you know, transportation devices, I guess. It would it would seem to fit the philosophy of the company in order to explore those possibilities, right? Definitely. Time will tell. All right. Well, I think that's um, that's about all the time that we have for this episode. Florian, thank you so much again for, for taking the time to talk to us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always great talking to you guys. And to our listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you left a review on iTunes. If you're in Overcast or if you're in Pocket Cast, you can just uh, tap on that star button to recommend it to your network. 